All right, Colossians chapter number 3. You have a sheet of paper there. Uh, you can write down uh, something maybe that uh, the Lord shows you, or two things, or three, or five, or whatever, on the little notes there. We got a whole basket of pens and pencils back there, Keith, and uh, if anybody needs a pen or a pencil, don't be bashful. Just uh, raise your hand right now so you can, they, they can bring you something if you want to write with, and uh, I'd encourage you to, to uh, jot down something maybe the Lord shows you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give you my opinion right now. This is an opinion. But as far as I'm, I know, or as far as I'm concerned, this is the most practical chapter that I know of in the entire Bible on Christian living. And that's just my opinion. Uh, but this chapter is just absolutely amazing when it comes to just rubber hitting the road and, and how to live for the Lord. And uh, so we're going to try to go through it. There's 25 verses, so we just try to keep moving here. Uh, And I can't explain everything. This is what we call an overview of the book of Colossians, more like just kind of an introduction. We did chapter 2 last week, and a lot of you were at camp. You didn't get that, but it's archived, and you can go back and listen to it. But uh, I'm very very serious about Colossians chapter 3. So let's get right into it now, verse Uh, Number one, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And so you notice the word above in both verses one and two. We are to uh, seek those things which are above, verse one, and set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. It starts out by saying, if ye then be risen with Christ, and that's a reference back to chapter 2 and verse 12, where he was talking about the significance of baptism, where it says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, uh, who hath raised him from the dead. And so baptism is supposed to be a picture of not only our salvation, that we believe Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and he rose again, but it's also supposed to be (coughs) an outward declaration of one who has died to his old life, and uh, he is to live for the Lord. And so, uh, in a strange way, death is the goal. Verse 3, for ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, this reference of being dead was once illustrated by our Lord when when Jesus was alive, like a piece of grain, a grain of wheat, a grain of, of corn. And Jesus said, if that seed abides alone, it 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 doesn't bring any fruit. But if you put the seed in the ground and it dies then life comes out from it. And uh, I know when I was on the farm, I've I've told you this before, but we would drill corn. We we have a corn drill, a two-row corn drill. We had a small farm. And it would drill corn. It would drop the seed. It would, you know, drill it into the ground. And uh, that seed uh, would die. And then it would spring up, and a stalk sometimes would have three ears of corn on it, 
and each ear would have about 700 kernels. So if you multiply that by three, it rounded out to about 2,000. One seed could produce 2,000 seeds. And what could you produce, what could I produce, if we died to self and gave our lives to the Lord? And you've seen people who have done that, people who have given their lives to the Lord, and by the end of their life, thousands have been brought to Christ, or hundreds or dozens, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. But we've got to die. We've got to die. And, and I remember one time on the farm, my dad bought a found, rather, in the barn, a bag of seed. And the date on it showed that the bag of seed he had purchased 20 years earlier. And if you've ever seen corn seed, it's all shriveled up. It's as hard as a rock. It's sprayed with a pink poison so the birds won't eat it. And that seed had been in a bag for 20 years. He sowed it in the ground, and it all came up when it died. And and look, there's been some that have been in Christ for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. They've never died, though. They're saved. They know the Lord, but they've never died to self. But sometimes later in life, they finally come around to it, and they give their life to the Lord, They die to self, they die to sin, they die to the world, they die to their own ambitions and will and dreams, and they just bury all of that, and they live for Christ, and all of a sudden they start bearing fruit. They start bearing fruit, even though they had been fruitless for so long. And so death is the goal. If ye then be risen with Christ, and not physical death, but just dying to self, seek those things which are above. We should be heavenly-minded, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's heaven. Verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Um, I think it was Moses and Abraham, those guys in Hebrews 11, it says they endured because they they sought for a city uh, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Even back then, Abraham and Moses, if you read Hebrews 11, What got them through all those hardships they went through in their life? And what a hard life they both had. It was the fact that they were looking above. And it says that Moses had more respect for the recompense of the reward than he would have had in all the treasures of Egypt living in Pharaoh's house. He said, all the treasures of Egypt in that day, if I'd have been called the son of Pharaoh's daughter... They would have all been mine. I could have lived on easy street. I could have had it made for this whole life. But he said, what that offered me is nothing compared to what Christ offered me if I would live for him. And we need to set our affection on things above, verse number two, not on things on the earth. Now, a lot of the earth has a big pull on us. There's a big pull on me. I don't know about you, but there's a big pull on us to to just keep our eyes on the earth and the things of this world. But we need to set our affection and seek those things that are above. And I think Paul might be giving us instructions here in verses 1 and 2 by the Holy Spirit from something Christ said when he walked the earth. In Matthew 6.33, he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. 
In other words, God will take care of you. Uh, God will take care of everything we need on earth here if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For ye are dead, verse 3, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And so we're, we're, we're supposed to, as Paul told the Romans, reckon ourselves to be dead. And as he told those that are in Galatia, the region of Galatia, he once said to them, they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. So we're talking about a decision you make after you're saved, and that is then to just present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He doesn't want us to be a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice who give up our lives for the Lord, and we are dead and our life is hid in Christ. People should see us so enveloped with Christ and living for him, that it looks like we have no life of our own. It is hid in Christ. And they should say, that man, that woman, everything about them is just about Christ. And that's what it says in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, that's our life. Um, we can sometimes see some people, for instance, you might say to some about some man, uh, football is his life. You, ever, you know what I mean? Football is his life. Uh, that's what he lives. That's what he breathes. That's what he thinks. That's what he dreams. That's what he looks forward to. It's, it's his motivation. And I could use many, many other illustrations, but that's one that's <coughs> uh, pretty understood uh, by, by some people. Uh, well, you know what it should be about us? People should say Christ is his life. Christ is her life. That's, that's just what, what they live for. That, that's all they talk about. That's all they think about. That's, that, that's, their whole life is, is Christ. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, notice the word shall appear very quickly. He's coming back again. Amen? Amen. The Lord shall return. Then shall you also appear with him in glory. He's coming back for us. And then we are going to appear with him in glory. Now in the light of this, we now have such, such a practical chapter here. <clears throat> in the light that our lives are hidden in Christ, our life is all about Christ, we should be dead to self. Here are some things we should do. Verse 5, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There are some really big words there. All right? But what this is saying in, in, in verse 5 is that we should mortify the deeds of the flesh. We should mortify the deeds of the flesh. Mortify means to put to death. Just like you may hear of a man in town who's a mortician. You know, he's the one that embalms a person, gets them ready for the casket and for burial. Mortify is, is about the strongest. It means kill. It means literally to kill. Mortify your members which are upon earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. And uh, there are affections that uh, some people in the human race have that are inordinate. And they, they might 
tell us that they're normal or natural or they were born this way, but the Bible calls them inordinate. Evil concupiscence means extremely strong passions or desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. So these are deeds of the flesh that we need to mortify. For which things sake, verse 6, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now, we, we, we love God. We, we thank, thank the Lord that he's a God of love. He's kind. He's gracious. He's merciful in all these things, too. But we have to understand that the Bible talks also about the wrath of God. And it talks about the wrath of God, verse 6, cometh on the children of disobedience. In other words, those that are not saved who practice these things in verse 5 can expect to face the wrath of God. Now, that little phrase there, the wrath of God, is an interesting phrase uh, because a lot of times people think the Old Testament God is a God of wrath. The New Testament God is a God of grace and mercy and somewhere along the line he changed. But the phrase, the wrath of God, appears ten times in the Bible. The wrath of God, that phrase. Nine of those are in the New Testament. Nine of those are in the New Testament. One is in the Old Testament. Yes, God is a God of wrath, and we can see uh, illustrations of that with Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah's flood and and, uh, other things, but... It says, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And uh, so let's keep God in the balance, all right? Let's not invent a God in our mind who's all... You know, when we invent a God that's not scriptural, that's called idolatry. That's no different than somebody carving something out of wood or stone or marble or granite and saying, that's my God. When we invent a God... Uh, who's not completely based upon the scriptures. That's idolatry. We've made up a God. And uh, we need to understand that balance there. Praise the Lord. He's a God of grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and, and love, but he's also a God of holiness and a God of wrath. And there, there comes a time when the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Verse 7, he says, In which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. <clears throat> now, this is a reference to their past life. That word sometime means in your past. In other words, you used to do these things before you were saved. So let's not be too harsh or judgmental. Now, I know some of you in this room, praise the Lord, grew up in Christian homes. I didn't. But you grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, you know, or maybe were homeschooled and all that. You are wonderfully blessed, and you should thank the Lord for it. But some of us came out of stuff, uh, came out of stuff that the Lord saved us out of, and, and, and we should be dead to self, and those things should be mortified, or as he told the Galatians, crucified. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. In fact, it says um, in Ephesians, uh, I'm trying to think of the verse, um, and uh, I think it's Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. 
It says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. And so this is, this is something where there's, there's absolutely no give and take. There's no compromise on this. There's no moderation on this. At all. It's, it's total abstinence. For the person who has come to Christ and given their life to the Lord, they should have absolutely no involvement in those uh, sins of the flesh. The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience because of those things. And you used to walk that way, some of us, in verse 7, when you lived in them. But now, verse 8, ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now we see sins of the spirit, and we mean spirit with a small s, a lowercase s. We're talking about the human spirit. Not the Holy Spirit. So in verse 5, we see sins of the flesh that must be put off. And then he says now in verse 8, go farther than that. And now start going inside and put off all these. And then he talks about sins of the human spirit. Uh, in Colossians, I'm sorry, um, 2 Corinthians, I will read this for you. Chapter 7, verse 1 says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, listen, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Cleanse ourselves, he's talking to believers here, cleanse yourself of all Filthiness of the flesh, that's mostly outward, and spirit, small s, the human spirit, that's inward. What is the spirit? The, the human spirit, you and I are a trinity, we're a body, a spirit, and a soul. As we've often taught, the spirit is the seat, it's an inner man inside of you, that is the seat of the emotions, the feelings, thoughts, will, all right? And notice these emotions here now in verse 8. You need to put these off too. Uh, But now you also put off all these. Anger, that's an emotion, that's in your spirit. Uh, Solomon said, anger resteth in the bosom of fools. And it is not something that is to be controlled, it is something to be put off. I mean, if you have a rattlesnake in your house, you're not going to try to control it. Uh, that, that thing can go off, man, like a shotgun. Only has to go off once to kill somebody. And anger uh, can go off. Wrath. Anger, by the way, is the building up of indignation within. Wrath is then the loss of that anger. It, it vents. It, it's a picture of a Maybe a wine bottle uh, venting and venting until it finally explodes, wrath. And then malice is the worst when it goes beyond that to ill will or bitterness towards somebody that can take on physical form. Uh, Fighting with somebody, attacking somebody, 
Um, that's malice. And so these all, and then blasphemy, that comes from within, from within, from the heart, and the man speaketh. Blasphemy is a word that it, it needs to be defined better than what uh, we think. When we think of blasphemy, we think of somebody cursing Jesus Christ or cursing God. Absolutely. That is a couple examples of blasphemy. But the word blasphemy means to speak evil of, to criticize, or to slander another. It means to injure, to injure the character of somebody else, uh, to injure holy things. Um, you know, if, if somebody said, well, the Bible's just full of fairy tales and fables and everything, and you've injured a holy thing, the Bible. That's blasphemy. Um, and we, we, can, we can be blasphemers and never, not even think of it. Sometimes what appears to be the best of Christians habitually speak evil of others, habitually criticize others, habitually slander others. These need to be put off. These need to be put off. Blasphemy. Notice the next one, filthy communication. That's any type of obscenity or otherwise foul speech, profanity, vulgarity. There is so much of this today. There is so much profanity today. There's so much filthy communication. You can't watch movies, but you get five minutes into them, and they're cursing Christ. They're cursing God, and you've got to shut it off. Um, some of the music nowadays is just, just, just filthy. I remember... Somebody did a, 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 a analysis of a movie a couple years ago that was famous and uh, had a famous actor, and I won't mention his name, but you'd all know or have heard of him. But within the movie, there was over 700 profanities in the movie. And, and some of you can maybe remember the day when Gone with the Wind came out. Uh, Gone with the Wind. And at the end, the, the lead actor used a word to kind of end the movie that was uh, considered back then a profanity. There was such an uproar in this country over the use of that one word in that one movie, a word that's so common nowadays that, but, but there, American, I'm talking about saved people, unsaved people, they, they were so upset that they would put that one word in a movie. And nowadays, profanity is everywhere. And uh, profanity is the heart throwing up. It's what it is. It's the heart vomiting. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if profanity is coming out and foul, filthy communication... Uh, that's the, problem, the sick heart. To fix that, we need to get our heart, heart right and heart clean. Now, the unsaved need to be saved. And uh, I can remember being a very, very profane little boy <clears throat> when I was growing up uh, until the Lord saved me. And it's kind of like the, that was like the first thing that cleaned up was my mouth. Uh, it, it was like I, I, just, I just couldn't uh, talk like that anymore. And, and so I praise the Lord for that. But but uh, there is so much profanity. And just because we're getting used to profanity doesn't mean we as believers should use it. 
The Bible says we're supposed to put off filthy communication out of our mouth. Lie not one to another, verse 9. Uh, you and I have a predisposition to lying. Every one of us, Psalm 58 and verse 3 says, all men are liars. We have a predisposition to being fake, which is lying, acting, which is lying, and uh, that needs to be put off. It is one of the chief characteristics of the devil, as Jesus taught in John 8, verse 44. He was talking to a bunch of unsaved people, but he said, you are of your, fa- uh, you are of, uh, your father the devil, and the loss of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, because he bowed not in the truth, because and he, he's a liar and the father of lies. Uh, it is one of the chief characteristics of uh, the devil. And lying does not just mean words. It can mean the way we act, the way we pretend. <coughs> and uh, we, we should be honest. Put off the old man with his deeds. So we're supposed to put off the flesh, verse 5. Put off... Then go inwardly inside, and and even though you and I may be experts at hiding our anger, we got to take that to God and say, God, help me. You know, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's the way to fight it, is to keep our minds on God. We'll have perfect peace which chases away anger and all of its symptoms like wrath and malice. And... uh, We uh, should pray about everything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passeth understanding. So keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there's ways to victory. There's ways to victory, but but we've got to recognize it first. And we've got to say, Lord, I've got to put this stuff off. (coughs) Now then... We've put off all this stuff in verse 5, and we put off all this stuff in verses 8 and 9, but you know when you undress, you've got to put something else on if you get rid of your filthy clothes, all right? I mean, I was painting today and out at the church in Perrysburg, and, but when I came home, I put off those clothes, all right, and put these on to come to church. And now we have to put on some things, and there's a dozen of them mentioned here that we'll uh, uh, go through in a moment here. Uh, quite quickly, but it says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So the new man is a created man that is made brand new inside of you and I when we're born again, when we're regenerated. It's not, it's not the old man with makeup on or lipstick on, all right? The old man, we, we just talked about putting off the old man. And then we got to put on the new man. Now, there's two put-ons in the New Testament. There is Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. That's your military uniform. And then there's the what we're going to read here in the rest of the chapter, the put-on of the, the Christian garments. Uh, when I was in the army, uh, you know, and they said fall in at, you know, Monday, oh, 0800 hours or something like that. I didn't go there in what we called in the army my civvies. All right, we used to call your civilian clothes civvies. Now, at the end of the day or at the end of the week or something like that, when you were off duty, you put on your civvies. 
your civilian clothes and you went out shopping to the restaurant or whatever. But when you were on duty, you put on your military clothes and they told you how to dress. And so in Ephesians 6, we have put on the whole armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, and the shield of faith and all those things. That's our military clothes. But now we want to see our civvies, our, our civilian clothes, or the clothing of a Christian, and that we start to get into that here in verses 10 and 11. But notice verse 11, there's something interesting here, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, uncircumc- circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And so there's no partiality with God. It doesn't matter who you were before you were saved. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what country you were from or anything, nobody is superior to anybody else. And boy, the American Christian needs to get that into our thick skulls. Uh, this pride thing's gone too far, uh, where we think we're better than everybody else. No, no. See that word Scythian right there? Anyone want to take a guess who that is? What did what, you say? The Russians, the Russians, okay? Uh, In fact, the word Scythian uh, is used in the Bible, and it's the only place it's found is right there. And they were regarded during the days of the writing of the Bible as the wildest of the barbarians. But the fact that they're present here shows that they can be saved, And there's absolutely no difference between them and us when they get saved. And uh, so it's kind of interesting because you go back 600 years before Colossians 3 and verse 11 is written. And Ezekiel, the prophet says in Ezekiel 38, 1 and 2, and Ezekiel 39, 1 and 2, I am against the Ogag, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Who's that? It's Russia. I am against thee. And he's going to destroy them and leave but the sixth part of them. I mean, they, they are, in the last 150 years, probably the most barbaric people on the earth. They have about 57 million abortions every year in their country. We have one. And we grieve over that. We grieve. We should be grieving that we have one million abortions in our country. They have 57 million last year, 57 million abortions. They're, they're the bloody, if you go back the last, the last century, especially the 1900s, and look at the history of Russia. And the Chinese are up there with them, and they're just, they're just bloody, barbaric. But can they be saved? Absolutely. Let us not limit our God and what he is able to do. God is able let us quit being proud, thinking like Americans have some corner on the market with God. We don't. We don't. We could lose our freedoms too. And, and so that's just an interesting verse. Christ is all and in all. That's how verse 11 ends. Christ is all and in all. It doesn't matter if they're a Russian. If Christ is in them, he's, he's in them. So now. He tells us what to put on. Here's 12 things. And, I, you know, again, this is just an overview. But can you imagine, you, you've, we, we've put off all that junk. 
in verse 5. We put off all that stuff in verses 8 and 9. And now we're standing there naked. We've got to get dressed as a Christian. Can you imagine if we were all dressed this way? Number one, as holy and beloved. Number one, bowels of mercies. Boy, we're just filled with mercy. Number two, kindness. Number three, humbleness of mind. Picture, picture somebody putting this on who was once a barbarian. What a testimony that would be for Christ. Number five, or whatever I'm up to, meekness. Number six, long-suffering. Number seven, forbearing one another. Number eight, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you do them. Isn't this great? Can you imagine somebody getting dressed like this? Wow, the whole world would say, what happened to him? What happened to her? And it would, it would turn people to at least consider the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. If we started clothing ourselves, and above all these things with, with a, a charity, and I, I don't know what number that is, I've lost track already, but which is the bond of perfectness, charity, peace. Verse number 15, the peace of God rule in your hearts. Can you imagine people walking around in peace rather than anger and being irritated all the time and agitated all the time and disrupting their family, disrupting their workplace, disrupting their school? Can you imagine the, the, the peace of God? How much peace does God have? Well, let that rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Verse 15. Proper music. You know, oftentimes a true conversion to Christ means a true conversion in the music that they listen to or sing. And now all of a sudden they become interested in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in their hearts. And whatever they do, they do it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God. So if, if you were counting there, there's like 12 different pieces of clothing. We're supposed to, it says in verse 10, put on. Put on. How are you doing? We ought to all, myself included, make a checklist of this. And say, okay, God, I've put the anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filth, all, that, all that's gone. And now this is what I'm going to get clothed in. And can you imagine a person like that walking around your town? Your family, your school. Uh, your neighborhood, <clears throat> and people saying, that guy is different, that lady is different. <laughs> what happened to them? They put on the new man. They put on, the, this is practical Christianity. Now then, it ends with this. It ends with inheritance. <clears throat> the chapter talks about the inheritance of wives, husbands, children, fathers, and servants and even goes on into the masters, which we'll look at next week. But, 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 but keep in mind, and, and I covered this, I think, last year, and so I'm just going to briefly close with this. But if you'll take the verse that applies to you and then join it to verses 24, uh, 23 and 24, you will see what we call rewards. And maybe you're having a hard time being a wife. Well, let me read it. The way it's written here, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord, verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing 
that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord's Christ. So that's what I call the wives' reward. And then there's the husband's reward. Sometimes it's not easy being a husband. Husband, love your wives. Be not bitter against them. Then go to verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance. Then children, obey your parents. Maybe it's hard in your home. All right? It was hard in my home. It was a dysfunctional home, abusive home. But the Bible says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance. So it talks about the children's reward and then the father's reward in verse 21, the servant's reward. Maybe you don't like your job that much. Put verses 22, 23, and 24 together and it'll make it easier. It'll make it easier. And so I hope you saw how practical tonight was die to self. Put these sins of the flesh off. Put these sins of the spirit off. Put these 12 graces on. And then then, clothe that way. Fulfill your role as a wife, husband, child, father, servant. And you'll receive the reward of inheritance. And uh, then it closes, however, with this. Verse 25, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of person. We're not going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for our sins. Christ was already judged for our sins back on Calvary. We'll have the Lord's Supper Sunday night, 6 o'clock, and we remember that. We're going to be judged for our works, though. And some of our works as believers in Christ after we're saved are good or evil. And here's a couple quick passages, and then we'll pray. Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man for God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every work. Not our sins, our works. Ecclesiastes 12 and verses 13 and 14. Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according as he hath done, whether it is be good or bad. And then a third testimony, Romans 14 and verse number 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. All right? 
And uh, so let, let's keep that in mind. We're, we're not going to be judged for our sins. Christ was judged for them. But our works are going to be tried. Wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. And if the wood, hay, and stubble, the works of our life are burned up, no reward. We'll be saved, we'll be in heaven, but no reward. If it lasts, or some of it lasts, silver, gold, precious stones will receive a reward. And so that's about the most practical chapter I've, I've run across in the Bible on uh, the Christian life. So let us pray. Father, thank you for Bible study tonight. We pray that this little overview would at least get us thinking about some things. Lord, that we would not live to ourselves, but set our affection on things above and seek those things that are above. And For our life is hidden Christ, and Christ who is our life. Help us to put off the sins of the flesh and then get inside and put off the sins of the Spirit. But then be clothed with these 12 beautiful graces. It must be possible or you would not have put it in your word. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to, put, to look at these 12 graces and, 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 and ask ourselves, am I putting these on? And then whatever our role is, Lord, help us to embrace it, knowing that it will be rewarded if we do it as unto the Lord. We thank you for this practical chapter. We pray thy Holy Spirit uh, would help us uh, to have the power to hear and to do uh, what you've taught us. And now, Lord, dismiss us with thy blessing. And again, especially we pray for our sister Sue and uh, the condition of her blood, knowing that your word says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And this disease that's in her blood, we pray for her healing and, and, and for so many others too. And uh, use us now the rest of this week, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.